Well, good morning, everybody. So good to see you on this Lord's Day. And I want to say thank you for worshiping the Lord through song. And now let's worship through the word, shall we? If you haven't done so already, may I invite you to take your listening outline from your worship guide or click the notes button on the Ingleside app and open your Bibles, if you would, this morning to the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament. The book of Proverbs, as I share the third message in the series called the way of wisdom, and today's message, do you see it on your outline, is called Wisdom and Our Words. Wisdom and Our Words. Now, as we're preparing to hear the word here in the worship center, let me just say a warm welcome to everyone who's in our contemporary service today, as well as those of you who are joining on TV and online. I'm really glad you're part of this gathering today as well. Now, if you're new to Ingleside, you may not know why we're looking at the book of Proverbs. That's where our chapter a day readings have been recently. So if you're not part of that journey yet, we invite you to join in. Pull out your phone, text the word chapter to 22828. You'll be able to sign up with your email address and join in with hundreds of us as we're abiding in God's word just a chapter a day. Now, if you're abiding in the word with me a chapter a day through Proverbs or you've been a part of the first two messages of this series, you know what the theme verse is of the book of Proverbs and the theme verse of the series. It's Proverbs 1-7. It's our memory verse for the series. It's on the screen, and I would love to invite everybody here in the worship center, in the contemporary service, on TV and online, let's read our theme verse out loud. Are you ready? Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, fools despise wisdom and instruction. And so what is the fear of the Lord? It's awe, it's reverence, it's respect, it's honor, it's submission to his authority. And the Bible says when we get that right relationship in place, then everything else can fall in its proper place then. And it is foolish for us to despise or reject or ignore the instruction and the wisdom that God gives us in his word. Now, since this is our memory verse and you read it well, uh, let's see if we can do it uh, without a couple of the words. So knock a couple of the words out. I think they've done that now. Are you ready? Let's see if we can say it again. Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge fools despise wisdom and instruction. Now, this, since this is week three, let's knock out a couple of more words and see how we do. Are you ready? Here we go. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Well, I hope you'll hide that in your heart. It frames the entirety of the message of the book of Proverbs, and it's good for you and me to remember as God helps us build a God-centered life. Now, Today, we're going to dig into some more of that wisdom, and it has to do with our words. If you've been reading with me through Proverbs, you know that this is not an insignificant theme. It is a mega theme in the book of Proverbs. In fact, by the time we get done reading all 31 chapters in the English Standard Version, you will have encountered the word tongue 19 times. You will have encountered the word lips 
33 times. You will have encountered the word mouth 46 times, and you will have encountered the word word 46 times. So what is God attempting to do? He's attempting to get our attention about our tongue, our lips, our mouth, our word. And so this morning, guess what I want to do? I want to talk with you about talking. That's the essence of today's message. I want to talk with you about talking. Now, as I was thinking of that, I was reminded of a story. A guy 72 years old, and he loves to fish. He was sitting in his boat the other day, and he heard a voice say, pick me up. And he looked around, and he didn't see anybody near, and he thought maybe he was dreaming or not hearing well. And then in a minute, he heard the voice again say, pick me up. And he looked in the water, and there floating on the top of the water was a frog. And the man said to the frog, are you talking to me? And the frog said, yes, I'm talking to you. Pick me up. And when you pick me up, if you'll kiss me, I'll turn into the most beautiful woman you've ever seen. And I'll make sure all your friends are envious and jealous because you will have me as your bride. So the old man looked at the frog for a little bit, reached over, picked it up very carefully, and placed it in his front breast pocket. And the frog talked again. The frog said, what, are you nuts? Didn't you hear what I said? I said, if you would kiss me, I would be your beautiful bride. And the old man opened his pocket and looked at the frog and said, nah, at my age, I'd rather just have a talking frog. <laughs> You see, with age, wisdom does come, does it not? <laughs> and in fact, wisdom comes about talking. And so that's what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about talking. And I want to give you the big truth, and then I want to tease out four or five applications. So here's the big truth. Write it in on your outline, number one. That is, if I am wise, the Bible says, I will recognize the power, the power of my words. I will recognize the power of my words. Now, unfortunately, somewhere along the journey, many of us have learned a little saying. Maybe in your childhood, maybe it got passed down to you. I bet you can complete my sentence. The saying says, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will what? Never hurt me. That's exactly right. Now, you know the only problem with that saying? It's wrong. <laughs> That's the only problem with it. You say, how do you know it's wrong? Well, look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 18, 21. It says, death and life, death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruits. Or look in the message paraphrase of Proverbs 18, 21. Do you see it? Words kill. Words give life. Either they're poison or fruit you choose. Wow, the Bible says our words have power. I was reading this week something about that from the pen of Nan Russell. I think she gets the biblical truth exactly right. Listen, 
She said, well, quote, words create impressions, images, and expectations. Words build psychological connections. They influence how we think. And since thoughts determine actions, there's a powerful connection between the words we use and the results we get. You know, at Ingleside, on our staff, we often put it this way. We say that language shapes culture. And so if we want to shape the culture of our lives, our families, our church, then we need to pay careful attention to our language, to our words, because the scripture says they are powerful. Now, in what ways does the Bible say our words are powerful? May I highlight two? Write it in on page one of your outline. If I recognize the power of my words, I'll have to see my words have the power to ruin or reward to ruin or reward me, depending on whether or not I learn to use my words wisely. Let me show each of those to you, if I may, in the scripture before you turn the page. Look in Proverbs 13, 3 in the ESV. It, so, it says, whoever guards his mouth preserves his life. He who opens wide his lips, it means he who opens wide his lips without discretion, without discipline, without wisdom comes to, circle that next word, ruin. The Bible says the way we speak, if it's unwise, can lead to ruin. But now I want to show you just the other side of the coin. Look in Proverbs 12, 14, the New Living Translation. It says wise words bring many, circle that next word, benefits. Wise words bring benefits and hard work brings rewards. And so our words have power to impact our own lives, either bringing ruin or reward. I was reminded again of a story this week about an older man who had developed some pretty uh, serious hearing problems for a number of years. And this elderly man's family had tried again and again to convince him to go get tested and to get some hearing aids. So he finally relented and he went to the doc and had the test and was fitted for a set of hearing aids. And lo and behold, it, it restored his hearing to almost 100%. So about a month later, he went back to the doc for the follow-up visit, and the doctor, obviously very pleased, said with a smile, uh, your hearing is almost perfect, and your family must be really pleased you can hear again. And the old man smiled and said, oh, I haven't told my family yet. <laughs> he said, I just sit around now and listen to their conversations that I couldn't hear before. He said, I've changed my will three times. <laughs> Be careful what you say. Our talk can lead to ruin or reward. And then the Bible teaches us, top of page two of your outline, that our words have the power, write it in, to wound, to wound, or to heal, to wound or to heal. 
Now, I've put the same verse, Proverbs 12, 18, on your outline in three different versions, and I want you to circle three different words, if you would. In the English Standard Version, it says, there is one whose rash words, circle that word rash, there is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. Look at it now in the NIV. The words of the reckless, circle that word reckless, pierce like swords, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. In the Good News Bible, it says thoughtless words. Circle that word thoughtless. Thoughtless words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. And so don't miss the big truth today. Not only can our words that are powerful ruin us or reward us, but it, our words can also have a huge impact in the lives of others. If those words are rash, reckless, thoughtless, they can wound. But if by God's grace we use our words wisely, they can heal they can restore, they can rebuild, they can be like salve and ointment and bring grace into the life of another. Do you see what the big message of the book of Proverbs is about our words? They're powerful to ruin or to reward, to wound or to heal. Now, it goes beyond that. So let me just tease out a few more of the things it says. You have your pen ready. So because they're powerful, if I am wise, the Bible says, number two, I will let my words be few. I will let my words be few. Let me show it to you. It's in Proverbs 10, 19, ESV. Look at it. It says, when words are many, transgression or sin is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lips puts a filter on reduces the number of words. Whoever restrains his lips is prudent. Look at it in Proverbs 17, 27, 28, New Living Translation. A truly wise person, here it is, uses few words. A person with understanding is even tempered. Even fools, the scripture says, are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. Have you ever heard the colloquial expression of that? Better to be silent and thought to be stupid than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. Have you ever heard that expression? You know, the Bible says, look, use fewer words. Now, let me just ask you a question. In your world, in your world personally, who is the person who has the most words? Is it you? Is it your spouse? Is it your kids, somebody you work with? Who's the person who tends to speak the most? Let me see a poll. Based on your experience, not based on your research, based on your personal experience. If we just divide it by the sexes, how many of you all think men generally speak more words than women? Can I see your hand? A few hands, okay. I think in the first service we had two. In this service it may be five. How many of you think generally women speak more words than men? Can I see your hand? Look at that. Wow. 
Now, can I tell you, there's some interesting research out there. There was a bit of conventional wisdom for years that said women speak on average about 20,000 words a day and men speak about 7,000 words a day. Women speak about three times more. Well, some in our day of equality, some are not pleased that there's that big a difference, and so they've done some more research. And so you can find all kinds of studies now that say, well, yeah, women do speak earlier, more often, and generally more words, but they don't speak that many more words than men. It's, it's basically the same. But your experience tells you what we just saw. And regardless if you're a man or a woman, guess what the Bible says today? If you're wise... If you're wise and your propensity is to say a lot of words, dial it back, slow it down, say fewer words, be more thoughtful. That's the wise thing to do. Look at the third thing the Bible says. It says our words are powerful. If I'm wise, I'll let my words be few. You know, I think I missed a verse there, didn't I? I think I didn't have us read aloud Proverbs 21, 23. It sort of makes that last point. Let's read it aloud. It begins, watch your tongue. Are you ready? Here we go. Watch your tongue and keep your mouth shut and you will stay out of trouble. Get it? Well, now, wait a minute. When I say get it, you say got it. I say good. Get it? Good. Okay, here's number three. The Bible says, if I'm wise, I'll not only let my words be few, but I will choose with care the timing of my words. You know, it's possible to have the right thing to say, but say it at the wrong time. Look at what the Bible says. Proverbs 25, 11, ESV, it says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I love the way the message puts that same verse. It says, the right word at the right time it's a beautiful thing. It's like a custom-made piece of jewelry. I love the way the NLT puts Proverbs 15, 23. Everyone enjoys a fitting reply. It's wonderful to say the right thing at the right time. So if I'm a wise person, I say, okay, Lord, I, I see that my words are powerful. I'm going to say fewer of them by your grace. I want to choose my timing. And then number four, top of page three, if I am wise, I will choose with care the tone of my words. I have to be concerned not only about timing, but about tone. So let me give you four words that I think the proverb writer highlights for us. And you write them in. In general, the Bible says our words should be first gentle Gentle, Proverbs 15, 1, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. So my words ought to tend to be gentle, not harsh. Second word, write it in, is kind, kind. Kind words bring life, the Bible says, but cruel words crush your spirit. So my words ought to be gentle, not harsh, kind, not cruel. Number three, write in the word patient. My words ought to reflect a tone that is patient. Patience can persuade a prince, the scripture says, and soft speech can break bones. So my words ought to be patient, not short-tempered or irritable, kind, not cruel, gentle, not harsh. And then the fourth word is gracious. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body.
Now, there are different tones that are appropriate for different times. I get that. But the biblical writer summarizes it beautifully in Proverbs 16, 21, the Good News Bible. Look at it. It says, a wise, mature person is known for his understanding. And then listen, here it is. The more pleasant his words, the more persuasive he is. I like the way one person has summarized that in a way that I can remember. They've said, when we are abrasive, when we are abrasive, we're never persuasive. Now, even as I say that, some of you are saying, well, I'm not sure about that, Pastor Tim. Because in my experience, what I've found is when I get angry and I amp up, and I make my words harsh and sharp and pushing and forceful and demanding, and it expresses the power of my conviction or what I want, I usually get my way. So I'm going to keep on doing that. Well, can I just challenge that a little bit? Can I tell you what's really going on there? When we get angry and amp up and that is expressed in words that are inconsistent with what the scripture teaches, we do sometimes get our way in the short term. You know why? Because the person on the receiving end of that, though they may never say it out loud, is saying, hmm, I just want to get away from this. Whatever I've got to do to turn that off, turn that down, get away, I'm going to do that right now. So in the short term... You may get your way, but guess what's happening in the long term? If your pattern is to get angry, amp up, and use harsh, cruel words to get your way, in the long term, guess what the person on the other side is saying? I don't have much respect for that. I don't think I want to be around that. I think I'm going to avoid that. And so guess what happens? The opportunities that might have come your way, they just really don't come anymore. And the inclusion that you might have hoped for, they just, just doesn't happen. Why? Well, it might be connected to the fact that you need to hear this truth. In the long term, you're never persuasive when you're abrasive. But you are when you are gentle and kind and patient and gracious. Well, beyond that, the scripture goes on today um, to teach us um, some just specific ways we ought not to use our words. So let me just give them to you real quickly. May I? Number five, page three of your outline. Scripture says in the book of Proverbs, if I'm wise, I will not use my words, number one, to blow my own horn. Are you familiar with that one? You don't blow your own horn. You don't sing your own praises. Uh, Proverbs 27.2 says, let another praise you, not your own mouth, a stranger, not your own lips. So don't you, if you're wise, don't use your words to blow your own horn. Number two, don't use your words to lie, to lie. Of course, everybody knows that, to lie to or about others. But you see what Proverbs 12.22 says? It says the Lord takes lying seriously. Lying lips are an abomination 
to the Lord. But those who act faithfully are his delight. Last page of your outline, number three. Don't, if I'm wise, I won't use my words to flatter others, to flatter others, to butter them up, to say what's not true, to offer false praise. What does Proverbs 26, 28 say? It says, a lying tongue hates its victim and a flattering mouth works ruin. In fact, if someone is flattering you, they're probably up to no good. Look at Proverbs 29, 5, message paraphrase. A flattering neighbor is up to no good. He's probably planning to take advantage of you. So if someone's buttering you up, y'all say, wait a minute here. What's going on? Why all this flattery? And then number four, the Bible says, we ought not use our words to deceive others, to lead them to believe one thing is true when it's not. Gentle words are a tree of life. Here it is, but a deceitful tongue crushes the spirit. Now, I know I have not said all that the book of Proverbs says about how we ought not to use our words or all that the Bible says. I mean, after all, there's one I haven't mentioned, but it's there in Proverbs and in the Bible. And that is we ought not just pass along juicy tidbits to someone else, whether we know whether they're true or not, but it's just too juicy to not pass along. Do y'all know what that's called when you pass along juicy tidbits to other people? What is that called? Gossip. That's exactly right. I love the story of the minister who had two gossipy sisters in his church. And one day they saw their pastor's car parked in front of the liquor store. And so these two gossipy sisters began spreading the word of their minister's, quote, drinking problem. Well, when he learned who was spreading the rumor, he just drove over to their house, parked his car in front of the sister's house and left it there overnight. More than one way to deal with gossip, is there not? And I didn't have, I couldn't put it on your outline, but am I the only one who has noticed the coarsening of our culture into the language that seems to be acceptable in public and in leadership, in professional settings, in polite company, Listen, I don't know about you, but things that would not have been said aloud in public or professional or settings 10, 15, 20 years ago, they're just said all the time now. I'm talking about vulgarities. I'm talking about obscenities. I'm talking about profanities. I'm talking about the A word, the B word, the C word, the D word, the F word, the GD word, the S word. There's, a, there's one for every letter. People just say them. Look right up here. The Bible says if you and I are followers of Christ, this is Ephesians 4.29. It says, no unwholesome talk should come out of our mouths. None. And so maybe today, by God's grace, what you need to say, <laughs> I've just sort of fallen into a pattern of being like my culture. And instead of being like my culture, I want to be like Christ. So maybe it's time to clean that up. The last thing today, the Bible says we won't use our 
mouth and tongue and lips and talking that way. It, there, there are two ways it does say we ought to use them that I want to highlight as we wrap up today. The first thing the Bible says is I will use my words to offer, number one, an occasional. You may want to underline that word occasional or circle it or something, highlight it in some way. An occasional piece of constructive criticism. The Bible says we ought to do that. Let me tell you where. Proverbs 28, 23, it says, in the end, in the end, people appreciate honest criticism far more than flattery. So what this means is the Bible really encourages us to speak the truth in love to one another. And when we do, even if it includes some constructive criticism, that leads to growth and development and maturity. And when we don't, we're really not doing a favor to others. Some years ago, a guy sat around my table here at church and he was recounting to me some of his employment journey, how he had left a job that he was pretty good at and pretty successful at. And he had made his way to a new job he thought might pay more, might help him provide for his family better. And he sort of had a little interest in, he was a little tired of the old job. But before he made the decision to go to the new job, he said he was actually meeting with his church small group. And he laid out the possibility in front of them and said, give me your counsel, give me your advice. He was trying to do what we learned last week, that there's wisdom in a multitude of counselors. And he said when he laid it out in front of the group to the person, they all responded very positively. He said, oh, yeah, go for it. You can do it. That sounds like a great thing. We think you'll be a success. You're going to hit a home run. I mean, it was just full of encouragement to jump into that. So he did. He left his old job. He went to his new job. And as he sat at my table, he looked right across the table at me and he said, and I was terrible at it. He said, I fell on my face. It was obvious after a period of time to me and to everyone else, my gifts weren't a good match for it. And I should have never taken that job. And then here's the kicker. He said to me that when he was back with his small group sometime after resigning that job and looking for another one, sort of like the one he had, he said, did you all know? Did you know I would probably not do very well at that and you just didn't tell me? And he said they all hung their heads and then said, you know, we just didn't want to throw cold water on your vision. We just didn't want to hurt your feelings. We just didn't want to. And he said, I wish you had really told me the truth. The Bible says, on occasion, wisely considered, wisely motivated at the right time, we need to speak the truth in love and offer constructive criticism. Now, I got to tell you, when it became apparent to me that I needed to teach this particular point in this message, I thought, oh, no. I am going to unleash a whole wave of criticism. <laughs> and that's not my point here. That's not my point here. 
But it is to say that we need to speak the truth in love. And I just want to say to you that criticism is not a spiritual gift. None of you have it. So you don't need to exercise it very often. In fact, I think Oswald Chambers got it just right. Listen, he said, a man who is continually criticized becomes good for nothing. The effect of criticism knocks all the gumption and the power out of him. So now listen, if you want to make your husband good for nothing, just criticize him all the time. If you want to make your wife good for nothing, just, just criticize her all the time. If you want to make your kids good for nothing, just, just criticize them all the time. If you want to make the people you work with good for nothing, just criticize them all the time. No, we offer constructive criticism, but we do it sparingly. So what do we offer more abundantly? Write it in. It's the last thought today. The Bible says I should use my words to offer an abundance of encouragement. Now, the Bible doesn't give us a ratio, but let's just agree today that 1 to 10 is a good place to start. Only one piece of criticism for every 10 words of encouragement. Why? The Bible says, Proverbs 10, 21, the words of the godly encourage many, but fools are destroyed by their lack of common sense. Look at Proverbs 12, 25. Worry weighs a person down, but an encouraging word cheers a person up. And so I'm really asking you today to become a better encourager with your words. Now, some of you are saying, oh, well, Pastor Tim, you're good with words. That comes easily to you, but that doesn't come easily to me. And I didn't grow up in a home where a lot of words of encouragement were shared, and I'm not even sure I've got a good vocabulary of how to use, how to encourage. So I thought maybe I would give you some words, and you can hopefully get an idea, too, of how you can encourage. You know, it, there are a lot of ways to say good for you, beyond just good, very good, fine. So you could say, wow, how'd you do that? Or that's really nice. Or Keep up the good work, or that's quite an improvement, or thank you very much, or that's really clever, or that's an interesting point. Congratulations. Now you got the hang of it. Terrific effort. Super. Beautiful. You got it now. Nice going. I appreciate what you've done. I think the others would like to see that. No one says it quite like you. It's beautiful. That's coming along nicely. That's going to be great. I like the way you do that. I'm glad you're my daughter. I'm glad you're my son. I can tell you really care. You're a good leader. It looks like you put a lot of work into this. It makes me happy when people work together. That's an interesting way of looking at it. You know, you're incredible. I like the way you're working. How does that make you feel? I bet really good. You paid attention, didn't you? What neat work. You really outdid yourself. Man, that's very creative. Good thinking. You're on the right track. That's a very good observation. That's a good point. Excellent. Oh, I see. You make it look easy. You're so helpful. I'm glad you're here. That's encouraging. Thanks for sharing. Wow, that must make you feel good that you did that. Or I like the way you worked that out. Or it's fun to play on your team. Or what I love about you is blank. Or you're a good friend because you do blank. Get it? Good. In the 830 service, when I gave that list out, a lady halfway back said, good job. <laughs> now, every time I teach from Proverbs, 
Uh, someone will say, ah, oh, that's just Old Testament stuff. That's not gospel stuff. I like gospel stuff. I like Jesus stuff. The Bible teaches us the way of salvation by grace through faith in Christ. And it teaches us the way of wisdom. And before we say amen to the message and sing our concluding song, let me just remind you what Jesus said. In Matthew 12, 34, he said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, our heart and our mouth are connected. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, these are the words of Jesus now. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words, you will be justified and by your words, you will be condemned. Jesus thinks that your words and my words are important. And perhaps none are more important than what we say about him. Do you remember Romans 10, 9? It says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, Believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. So when your heart believes, your mouth ought to confess, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. So before we're done today, I want to confess. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Lord. I wonder if you want to confess that out loud today. Jesus is Lord. Let's say it if you mean it. Say it with me. Jesus is Lord. And let's make it more personal. If you mean it, Jesus is my Lord. Let's say it out loud if you mean it. Jesus is my Lord. Now, if you couldn't say it and mean it, let God change your heart. Trust him, follow him, confess him as Lord, and then let him change your lips, change your mouth, change your tongue for your good and his glory. Let's pray together. Thanks so much for teaching us, Lord. Help us honor you with our lips, with our mouth. I want to say, please forgive me when I've fallen short. And Lord, I pray that you'd my make my mouth in words, words of wisdom and healing and not wounding. I pray, O oh Lord, that my lips would be filled with encouragement and only occasional criticism. And Lord, I pray that in homes and marriages and families all around our community, words would be changing for our good and for your glory. Thank you for meeting with us today. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen.